Hello, and a very warm welcome to a special podcast. It's Friday, November the 27th. I'm Richard Lane, and I'm joined by many guests this week to discuss a really fabulous issue of The Lancet. It's a themed issue, and it concerns disability. Let's first of all introduce the two people we're going to hear from first. Come in, Nora Gross. Hello. Good morning. Professor Nora Gross, I'm the Leonard Cheshire Chair of Disability and Inclusive Development at University College London, and I'm also Director of the Leonard Cheshire Centre on Disability and Inclusive Development there. Thank you very much. And our next guest needs really needs no introduction at all, but I'm going to ask her to introduce herself anyway. Rona MacDonald. Hi, Richard. Yes, it's Rona MacDonald here, senior editor at The Lancet, and I'm one of the editors here who put together this special issue in disability, one that's really special to us. Let's kick off. I mean, there's so much we could talk about, but we're going to be relatively disciplined and, and try and talk only for a couple of days. I think it's absolutely terrific that a medical journal, a general medical journal like The Lancet, has a dedicated themed issue about disability. However, my first slight anxiety is because The Lancet is a medical journal and is read by doctors, we need to be very careful because the biggest change in the movement of disability over the past couple of decades has been trying to get away from a medical model of disability to a social model of disability. Nora Gross, can you pick that point up? Because I think concepts and definitions are really important when we're talking about disability. That's the core of much of the discussion that's gone on over the past few decades. Historically, there's been a tension between the medical community and persons with disabilities. The emphasis has been on disability prevention. And I think, unfortunately, often when disability is not prevented, and many people who have disabilities are born with disabilities or become disabled, their well-being has been framed in terms of rehabilitation. And when that's not possible, been kind of relegated to the back of a long list of pressing medical issues. People with disabilities over the past few decades have said it's not about our disabilities, it's about our abilities, and we don't want to be defined just as people in need of health care. And in fact, according to the World Health Organization, people can be both disabled and healthy. The new emphasis has been on a social model where people with disabilities are saying, we're facing prejudice, we're facing social marginalization. It's a rights issue. It's not a disability medicine issue. However, recently, there's been a, not a rethinking, but I think a move forward. As people with disabilities have come forward to claim their rights, most recently and spectacularly in the new Convention on the Rights of Persons with Disabilities passed last year by the United Nations, one of the rights is the right to good health. And that means that it's no longer an issue of attention between a medical model where people with disabilities are really put under the guidance and kind of the right to decide for people with disabilities is put vested in the medical community. Now people with disabilities are using a model that says we have the right to decide for ourselves what we do and don't want, including in terms of our health care. And part of that is the right to rehabilitative care for those people with disabilities who need rehabilitative care, and then the right to good health care, inclusion in basic health care issues, be it maternal child health or AIDS outreach efforts or basic well child care that include people with disabilities. I should say one last thing is we're talking about a lot of people here. According to, to the World Health Organization and the United Nations, people with disabilities make up possibly 10% of the world's population. That's 650 million people. One of the, the things that we've done, in, particularly in this issue, is to shift the frame to uh, not just a, a developed world, but a developing world and mid-income country focus on these issues and 
have that as kind of the starting point to rethink some of the basics of what we know about people with disabilities and health, and just as importantly, what we still don't know. Thank you for that, Noah. I think that's a, a really excellent sort of base for discussion, and, and that's really at the heart of the issue. I would draw listeners to the comment section of the journal this week, where a lot of these issues are discussed. Before bringing Rona in, I'd like just to cover a couple more things with you. Again, these are covered by, I think, very important topics in the comment section. A rights-based approach clearly is fantastic, and that UN chartering of that of, of the rights of based approach is key but of course we have to remember you've just mentioned it a lot of disability is happening in the poorest countries of the world where people are not empowered to exercise their rights but can you also specifically pick up on a couple of issues that are brought out in the comments section the much talked about millennium development goals what are they saying or not saying about disability Oh, I'm so glad you brought that up as a a starting point. The Millennium Development Goals are a good example of how people with disabilities have been marginalized over the years, and much of their existence in the broader international development community and the global medical work as well is often framed in terms of disability-specific projects or programs. That means that in the broad sweeping efforts to prevent poverty, to deal with the needs of people with disabilities as part of the general population. People with disabilities have really not been included. So, for example, while people with disabilities may make up one in ten people in in the world, according to the World Bank, they may make up one in five of the world's poorest people. Illiteracy rate for people with uh, disabilities is 97%, according to UNESCO, for disabled women. These people have been marginalized, not because they can't learn to read and write, but because they've been excluded from school, not because they can't be healthier than they are, but because clinics are inaccessible or they've not been included in general health outreach efforts that have been part of much of the international development work over the past couple of decades. And also in 2015, they're going to be rethinking the next version of the MDGs. And there's work going on right now to make sure that the next version of the MDGs includes that missing 10% of the world's population that was overlooked in the year 2000. Thank you very much, Nora, and no time to discuss them in detail now, but just to point out to listeners some really interesting topics in the comment section, uh, the heart of the issue. For example, issues concerning disability in emergency situations and also the importance of rehabilitation. That's a balance, if you like, between the need for a rights-based approach, but also the need for proper rehabilitation services that obviously enable disabled people to become integrated in the social model. Rona, let's come to you. The issue itself, from the Lancet's perspective, just tell us what that's been like trying to pull this together well it's been fantastic and and very special because it's not just been us we've had an amazing editorial team including Nora who's much too humble in her introduction she's really world expert extraordinaire in disability plus the fantastic team at WHO headed by Alana officer Tom Shakespeare who really helped us you know form this issue so it's not just us here at the Lancet We've been involved with a great editorial team, but I must pay special tribute to my colleague Zoe Mullen at The Lancet, who's done a fantastic job. And what I love about it most, disability isn't a homogeneous thing. And you really get that by going through the issue with the different wealth of perspectives, papers, etc. that we have. It was one of the most popular issues in terms of submissions. Once we did our call for papers, we got a total of 106 papers altogether, which is, you know, a 
certainly the special issues I've been involved with, that's uh, much more than them. And again, I think the range of papers that we got in shows what researchers and people, you know, think disability is, which again is, is key to our issue. So we got papers about, you know, chronic diseases, about issues in elderly people, not just what you'd maybe think disability, you know, would be. We've got papers from all around the world, developing country contexts as well as um, high income contexts as well. So it was very interesting, you know, to go through them. The peer review process was rather rigorous, which is why we just have two research papers in the actual issue. But I think the added content, again, with the help of the editorial team, adds so much, you know, in the comments and in the perspectives. Particularly, I'd just like to talk about the Art of Medicine piece this week by Tom Shakespeare, which is about the training of health professionals in disability. Again, that the heart of it really is health professionals still follow the medical model of disability. They don't really know what it is. They might unintentionally stigmatise people with disabilities. They might not click that actually people with chronic illnesses might have disabilities themselves. Also that a lot of people who probably be labelled as having a disability don't think of themselves as disabled at all and might be pushed down a route that they don't want to go. And what the piece says in the art of medicine is really what health professionals should do, how they should be more concerned about people with disabilities, how they can get more training in it. We're all people at the end of the day. I think the relationship between doctors and their patients who have disabilities, whatever their age, whatever their disability, we still need a lot of advance to make that a lot better. Any brief thoughts on that, Nora, about the healthcare angle particularly? I think that's a major issue that we need to broach very systematically, not just for doctors, but for public health, for nursing, for allied health professions. We rarely raise disability in any of the health training programs. And when it is raised, it's disability prevention. And I think that there's an uncomfortable feeling that if we didn't prevent a disability, and not all disabilities are preventable, the idea that after that, people with disabilities are are labeled as disabled first is something that I think is a missed opportunity for health professionals. You're a 25-year-old woman who's a wheelchair user. Your concerns might be, when can I have a family? How can I get to graduate school? How can I provide for my family if if to gather firewood or pump water, if I live in a rural village in Africa. These are all issues that go beyond just how, you know, what, what a spinal cord injury is. Increasingly, we need to bring into the health professions people who are disabled and who would make a caring, compassionate healthcare professionals. One thing I think the healthcare community would be very wise to do would be to find something which you cannot find in this issue of the Lancet, the, the formal issue of the Lancet that we're talking about, but you can find online. And Rona, perhaps you could just walk us through this. I think there's some wonderfully powerful personal accounts online that we're publishing that really drive home some really very positive messages about disability. Absolutely. To me, and certainly to us at The Lancet and the whole editorial team, the motto behind the UN Convention on the Rights of Persons with Disability was nothing about us without us. What the personal accounts do is just various people with disabilities or a carer of someone with a disability just telling their stories. And I think it's in such a powerful personal way. And even though we've said the statistic, you know, 10% of the population, the world's population, 650 million people, each one of these 650 million people has a story to tell. I mean, we've just captured a few of them in the personal accounts, but they just present in such a powerful way what it's like to have a disability. 
some of the stories, in fact, most of the stories are positive now, but, you know, they've had real struggles along the way. Just because we're talking about the training of health professionals, you know, I'm really delighted that we have two personal accounts from health professionals who have disabilities about how they've caught one a doctor and one a nurse. We've had a personal account from a teenager with a disability, from people in developing countries with disabilities. But I'd just like to read out to you something that, that just sums up to me, I think, the dilemma of people faced with a disability. This is an incredible lady, Amy um, Slavin, who's, well, she says she's a self-employed digital sound artist, an arts professional, a freelance writer. She's a string of qualifications. She's a daughter, sister, friend, wife and mother. She's a colleague, collaborator, team leader. But really, if you saw her, probably you'd instantly label her as that blind woman. I think she just puts it in such a powerful way about the problems faced with people with disability. And if you don't mind, I'll just read this out because I think it just says it all. It is for me and many others, mainly the public perceptions of impairment that seriously interfere with our quality of life. We are told we have rights, but are accused of over-dependency and self-centeredness when we try to call on them by expressing our preference for public spaces through which we can safely navigate, for instance. We are demanding and overbearing if we ask for equality, isolated and disengaged if we don't. We are bitter if we express negative views about our place in society, socially unaware and politically apathetic if we don't. We are stroppy and suspicious when we attempt to put in place boundaries around our physical and emotional selves, incapable of setting appropriate boundaries if we don't. To me, that just summarises so eloquently some of the really difficult problems of people living with disability about their place in society should they fight for their rights yes we have the UN convention now but you know in the real world are you just labeled as being a nuisance if you fight for these rights to me it just really summed up a lot about what having a disability is about so Richard if I can just turn the tables on you for a wee while listeners you might not know this because you've been listening to Richard for years but Richard is blind so I'd like to ask you Richard how how do you manage? What? How do you feel? How? Just tell the listeners a bit about it. I think the short answer is I get a lot of help. And I think it is mentioned in the content. I'm not deferring the question, but it does bring out a point that's mentioned somewhere in the issue in one of the comments, I think. One of the most important things that can affect disabled people is their ability to work. And this ties in with, again, the social model of disability, the inclusion that disability people with disabilities seek. I've been very lucky in that I've always worked. I've never been out of work, even though I became blind nearly 20 years ago, and I was working at the time. Support has been there through my professional work, through my wonderful guide dogs. Simpson is my second dog, and he's coming up for retirement, so I'm about to start retraining with, with my third dog. And through assistive technology, again, which is mentioned in the issue, actually, in, in one of the review papers. Very fortunate because I live in a wealthy country, and there's an enormous support structure there. I don't see myself as a disabled person. I see myself as an able-bodied person who cannot see. But... I'm very happy to accept the disabled person's rail card, which gives me reduced travel fares <laughs> and some of the concessions at the concert hall and the theatre and the cinema. You know, I don't get too hung up about it. The really important point is the context in which you have your disability. If I was living in a, a rural part of Africa, I would not be exercising my rights as a disabled person that I am able to do now. Rona, can you just briefly tell us about your experiences? Because you've had some very, very real physical and emotional challenges yourself, haven't you? do with disability. Again, completely different from yours. And, and I was saying earlier, it's how every, you know, all these 650 million of us, we know we all have a personal story. And I'm not saying that mine's any more special or 
than anyone else's. It's just mine. Unfortunately, a few years ago now, I was diagnosed with scleroderma or systemic sclerosis, which is really a progressive chronic illness. All rheumatologists out there will know what it is. And basically, your your major organs fibros over. I've had all my fingers amputated because of the renals associated with that. And I was actually working as a doctor at the time I was diagnosed, and things weren't very easy for me because I had to give up practicing medicine really because of it. You find your niche eventually with what you can do, and I've been so fortunate. You know, I've worked with Medicine Sans Frontières, with Oxfam, with the British Medical Journal, and now been at the Lancet for over three years, which I absolutely love. And just as you were saying, it's being enabled, you know, being treated as normal, because I think of myself as, as normal, this is my normality. Okay, sometimes I, I wonder, I forget myself that I've got no fingers, and I wonder what, what people are, are looking at, you know, in the street. It will certainly here, you know, people understanding, knowing that things are a bit more difficult for me, but just being part of the team, being me, being Rona, because that's who I am. Nora, any thoughts on that? But pulling it back to, if you like, the, the concepts that we, that we started with in the issue and, and, and this rights-based approach and this need for social inclusion. What are your kind of concluding thoughts, really, on, on, on where we are globally with disability at the moment? I know that's a fairly big question. That is a huge question, but a very good one. I think we're just at the a kind of, uh, it's almost like a door has opened, but we haven't quite gone through it. There is a small group of advocates around the world who are now kind of redefining the whole issue of disability into a social rights-based model, but now the next step is to say part of the right is is better health care, better access to things that make people's lives easier. Uh, One figure we didn't even give before is of those people who need rehabilitative care worldwide, only 3% currently get it. An article in here by Sally Hartley and her colleagues about community-based rehabilitation, there's lots of things starting to happen. But still, for most people around the world with disabilities, especially in, in developing countries, they are still extremely marginalized, have very little voice on a day-to-day basis. And whatever rights are guaranteed to them in the new convention, they have yet to realize them in a, in a substantial way. In some ways, the disability rights movement and the changes it's bringing about is analogous to what went on maybe 25, 30 years ago with gender. Women started to say it's not us. The fact that we are denied many of the basic rights to society that men enjoy. Things have changed enormously over the last uh, uh, several decades in, in international development and in international health. It, not everything is solved, but things are much better now for women and uh, women's health issues. And in the same way, I see disability being a social movement that we're just beginning now to say, okay, we get it, we understand that people with disabilities have been marginalized both in their access to their needs for health, their right to decision-making, and then more broadly health as part of um, an issue that relates to poverty, to social inclusion, to rights. I imagine that the next decade is going to bring an enormous amount of changes, and I see actually this issue of the Lancet as, as one of the first steps towards that. This is the first time, to my knowledge, that a major medical journal has looked at disability, not in terms of disability prevention and not solely in terms of rehabilitation needs, but really in terms of the health needs of persons with disabilities. So I'll say one more thing, which is I'm very thankful to The Lancet for letting us put this special issue together. Well, thank you for that. One thing we haven't mentioned is dementia, and it gets very important coverage in this week's issue of The Lancet. Just before we say goodbye, let's just hear from one of the authors of one of the two research articles.
My name is Renata Souza. I am a research assistant at King's College London Institute of Psychiatry. My uh, analysis was run with, you know, the population-based data set of a large program of research that we are carrying on low- and mid-income countries. It's part of the 1066 Dementia Research Group, which is carrying on large population-based research on developing countries. Um, you know, focusing on not only disability, but actually all, re all, all health-related conditions in the elderly population on, that, on those countries. Specifically with relevance to disability, what were you in a position to investigate? What were you trying to assess? This is looking at, if you like, disability from a global health burden, isn't it, to try and, try and identify what the key issues are or what the key disabilities are that are affecting individuals and their families worldwide. Yes, exactly, because we learn from previous research published by our group that some chronic diseases are becoming more prevalent because of the demographic aging of the population. And we also know via this research that most of the elderly population are going to live in developing countries. They are already living there and the numbers will increase. Something that is well known from developed regions is that disability is something that it's a consequence of ill health. We got interested in assessing what's happening in developing countries because there is no much data. So we want to see what are the consequences of chronic diseases in these populations and see how the family are coping with, how the, the elderly people are coping with, because disability provenient from those chronic diseases can also affect not only the participants or the elderly person, but also the family and, you know, the, the main carer. And what was your main finding? I think it's fair to say that your main finding turns upside down perhaps what is a common perception of the greatest burden concerning disability worldwide. Yes, it's actually quite different. We found that despite the World Health Organization Global Burden of Disease Report, that dementia in developing countries made the largest contribution to disability in the elderly population. According to the GBD report, blindness or eye disorders used to be the ones accounted for, this, for the biggest contribution. And our research has shown that actually, although eye disorders are highly prevalent, they do not impact that much in the ranking of disability. Can you just expand on that? Because obviously you're not saying that visual impairment or blindness is not a problem worldwide of considering disability, because clearly it is. But in what, in what way has dementia become more profound? Well, I believe dementia has become more profound, first because it has become more prevalent because of demographic aging, but also because it, people are living longer with dementia and the symptoms that come with dementia. So there are several other symptoms that come with dementia that actually account, I believe, the most for, you know, People have difficulties in carrying on with their lives, and that's what it's all about. You know, dementia is becoming more likely. Disability was measured in our study by a very well-structured questionnaire that has been cross-cultural 
validated by the WHO, which is called the WHO Disability Assessment Schedule, and actually measures how much difficulty people have in carrying on activities of daily living. And finally, Ms. Souza, just briefly, if you would, what do you think are the immediate implications of this new finding concerning dementia and its impact in relation to disability worldwide? I believe that with such increasing numbers of elderly people living in low and income countries, there is going to have an increase in age-related disorders, and they are more likely to become, of course, more prevalent. So morbidity is going to increase because of that. Our findings are also saying to us that is actually diseases from the mind and from the brain are the ones that are counting the most for the, you know, for the disability in this poor population. So what we think is that we believe that more should be done by public health policymakers on not only preventing dementia or preventing some chronic diseases, more work still needs to be done on new approaches for prevention, increase of awareness about diseases, more research on treatment is needed so dementia can be better treated in hospitals, Family members of people with dementia can also understand the condition and also receive care because the care of people with dementia has very particular outcomes in these people who are helping dementia sufferers. Renato Souza, many thanks indeed for talking to The Lancet. Thank you very much. Rona, final thoughts from you as we close this podcast and the disability issue is in our hands. What's it been like? Well, I think it's, you know, as I said before, it's been quite a personal thing for me because I've fought so hard over the years for people with disabilities, especially health professionals with disabilities. And as Nora said earlier, I'm so pleased that this issue is not the medical model. You know, really looking at disability as a whole for the health needs of people with disabilities. But what really makes it for me is the personal accounts. I think that the issue without the stories of of disabled people would not be nearly as powerful. If you don't read anything else in the issue, please go to the web and read the personal accounts of these amazing people that you'll find there. And Nora, final thoughts from you. From a practical point of view, what does this disability issue of the Lancet mean? What power can it have? I think it's particularly powerful when we go out to talk to health professionals, to ministers of health, to heads of governments, to people who run a large and small NGOs. Many of these people, their hearts are in the right place. You tell them that disability is important and they're beginning to get it. They really understand. But then their next question is, well, how can I document this in a way that I can bring the point home to my colleagues? And having this in one place in the Lancet where you can refer people to this article or that commentary just helps bolster the arguments you can make in a very direct policy way at the community and at the national level as well as at the higher levels like the UN. And that's immensely helpful to people like uh, me and my colleagues at WHO who work on kind of applied research issues. Well, it's been great fun putting this podcast show together. Nora Gross, Rona McDonald, thanks very much indeed for your time. Thank you. Thank you.